Good evening. Thanks for tuning in to our online Bible study here at the West Visalia Church of Christ. We're going to be digging into the book of Matthew in just a moment, but I wanted to maybe ask a question to the audience as we begin. Do you struggle with the idea of doing good deeds? And what I mean is sometimes we struggle with the concept of do we do good deeds to be seen or do we just do good deeds that are seen? Well, the book of Matthew answers that question and that's what we're going to be digging into tonight. But if this is your first time tuning in, uh, my name is Cliff Sabre. I'm here with Curtis Pittman and Nick Westberg. And what we're going to be doing here tonight is we're going to be walking through a particular text in the book of Matthew. And it's going to be, you know, you're watching it right now here on Sunday night. We will replay this same class on Wednesday at 6 p.m. And then at 7 p.m. for our church members, you can log on to Zoom and participate in our Zoom discussion meeting. On the members group on Facebook, there will be a link to that. If you have any questions, contact me, Curtis, or Nick, and we'll get you the information that you need there. But let's get into the book of Matthew. One of the, yes. to, to interrupt, that, that class is not just for our members. It's just that that's our target. And if it is something that you would like to join, um, shoot, the, shoot the church a message. Um, and we can get you that login information. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're blessed to know that we have people all over the country really logging into these classes, not just our local members here in Visalia. So it's totally awesome to see that fellowship taking place, you know, you know all over the world. Definitely. Well, Nick, why don't you introduce the book of Matthew to us? What's the purpose of the book of Matthew? Well, it's to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, how other than to prove it than by writing about the life of Jesus? So who is looking for a Messiah? Well, what is a Messiah? What do you mean by that? Well, Messiah is what the Jews were looking for. In other words, they were looking for an eternal king. They were looking for a permanent king. Uh, prophecies in the book of Daniel talk about an eternal kingdom coming uh, when the Jews were exiled into Babylon. And even on before that, um, going back to Moses and Abraham and that whole line of, of people that are God's people um, are waiting for this time when the, God's chosen king, God's truly chosen king, uh, like the, like in other passages, it says, uh, talking about he will be like David. Yeah. Um, and so the Jews are really waiting for the restoration of the kingdom of God, for God to come and allow uh, and to, I guess, free them like he has. Yeah, so past. you have Jewish people in the first century, this one book of Matthew was written, yeah. waiting for that deliverer, right. waiting for that king. Absolutely. They knew one was coming. They saw prophecies about it. And Jesus has already come, but a lot of the people, a lot of the Jewish people didn't acknowledge sure. him as the anointed one. They didn't acknowledge him as the Messiah. So Matthew, as we've been talking about these last few weeks, gives us a lot of evidences to present to Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. Nick already right. mentioned, you know, um, the idea of, of Abraham and David. You know, he followed, right. Jesus has them in his genealogy. Curtis, what else shows Jesus to be this Messiah? Yeah, and Nick also mentioned the prophecies. Yeah, the prophecies yeah. that Jesus fulfilled. Yeah. Um, the fact that he had uh, the sinless nature. Uh, and then in addition to the sinless nature, the miracles that he performed. So we have genealogy, we have prophecy, we have miracles, we have sinless nature. And yeah, even teaching. Yeah, teaching, what we're yeah. looking at right now. We've just finished up, or have finished up starting, actually. We haven't finished up. We're going to be in Sermon on the Mount for a while. But we've <laughs> been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for the past few weeks. And this is a large teaching section of Jesus in which he, you know, kind of breaks down what the purpose of the old law was and, and, and builds upon it and fulfills the law, not to annul it or get rid of it, but teach it the way that it was meant to be taught. And Jesus is that master teacher. In fact, I know Curtis has mentioned it a couple of times. The last verse or of this section in Matthew chapter 7 mentions that the crowds were amazed at Jesus, for he was teaching them 
as one having authority. If you're following along, this is Matthew 7, verse 29. He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Jesus is an authoritative teacher. So as we looked at this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the ultimate purpose of this sermon seems to be found in Matthew 5 and verse 20, where it says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Curtis, will you tell everyone who the scribes and the Pharisees were? Yeah, so they were the, the religious elite of the day. The scribes were the ones that, where they didn't have photocopiers or Xerox machines, they would uh, literally write down by hand uh, and copy over the, uh, the, the, the law and, and the prophets. But they would have been experts then in it. And, and as a result, they, yeah. are, they are experts. And then the Pharisees were, were the, the religious um, leaders, the, the rulers. Um, and they were mostly outside of the Jerusalem area, but they were the, the church leaders of the day, if you will. They were the temple police. <laughs> yeah, so they were, they were religious leaders, but they had a bad rap, in, well, right. at least in yeah. scripture, and we use the word Pharisee today. We right. tell somebody, you're being a Pharisee if they're, right. you know, being very legalistic or binding things on other people, and the Pharisees had that tendency because they didn't just follow the old law, they also follow, I know Nick mentioned last week, the teachings of rabbis yeah. and, and from the Mishnah and the Talmud and things like that, and they took those teachings and really enforced them on people where they're Binding, tithing, you know, the spice rack, and they're forgetting to love their neighbor. And this started all with good intentions. I mean, this is not something that just, you know, we just, they just decided that they were going to do this. This, the Mishnah, these laws that were translated into this book for the Pharisees to understand were started with good intentions because they were aware of what happened during or before the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, things like that. And they didn't want to go back down the road of, of we're going to get it wrong and God's going to punish the nation and then we're going to be in exile again. So their mindset was, now we have to follow, we have to dive into, we have to understand and complete these commands as they're said so that we don't get in that well, Babylonian position. And yeah. their, so their cautious yeah. application of the law, which was practical sure. in nature, yeah. over time, what was just a practical way of following the law somehow became solidified in everybody's mind right. as a law. Sure. And, you know, we hear illustrations of that even in the church today where someone in a sermon might be telling somebody, hey, you should watch out for lustful situations, so maybe you shouldn't go to this type of dance club or something. And then over time, that becomes that dancing is sinful. I remember hearing some Christians say that, well, I always was taught that dancing was sinful. Well, that goes back to way back when someone was cautioning them against you know, inappropriate situations, but that cautious application of a New Testament teaching yeah. over time became solidified as law. I think even now with, with the situation going on and the shelter in place um, um, concerns, we, we see that with our mentality towards the building as well. Yeah. How how comfortable are we worshiping uh, in our own homes or, or talking to it someone? It seems odd. It, yeah. it seems like icky. It's like we're doing something wrong because right. the practical way of gathering was to have a shelter to do it, a church building, a, you know, all of that. And over time, it became the expectation that you would have one. And now when we don't have one, it seems, <laughs> it seems odd. So the Pharisees were well-intentioned to begin with, but over time, I think their application of the law became also kind of a way to inflate their own ego and make them seem righteous versus other people because they would look at the common people and say, you're not following the laws as good as we are, therefore you're, you're not, not righteous enough. You're and not righteous what, enough. If you go back to Matthew 5, um, Jesus in, in 5.14, he calls us to be a light in the world. Mm -hmm. But then he, he also um, calls us to let our light shine so that others may see our good works and give glory to God. And that's the yeah. ultimate purpose right. in doing our good the works. The ultimate goal of doing good works is to give glory to God. The Pharisees were giving glory to self. So when Jesus says your righteousness has to surpass them, that means you 
you need to be righteous, but your righteousness needs to reflect God and bring attention to him. So we, last week we looked at some different Old Testament teachings that Jesus deals with, like you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and if you're going to divorce your wife, give her a certificate, and eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and all that. And ultimately, his whole point in everything was put others first, think about other people, and mirror the character traits of God. As I preached about you know, on Sunday, the idea, um, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that idea is being like God, and you'll, I know those of you who followed that lesson saw that thought. But let's pick up then chapter 6. He gives us kind of another mini thesis statement in the middle of this sermon, I think. He kind of, here's point number two of how to, you know, let your righteousness surpass the Pharisees. And here it is, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness. There's that key word if you're following along. Underline righteousness every time you see it in this book. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So now, he mentions, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Now, the idea is, it's not wrong to do righteous things before people, but he clarifies, to be what? Seen to be by seen, them. or my seen, version yeah. says, to be noticed right. by them. And we're going to see that in chapter 6, we're going to see that four times. Four he times, hits right. it four times, to right. be seen by them. So if you got your notebook out, write that down. Don't be do good deeds to be noticed in one, two, three, four, because we're going to break these down. So when we do good deeds, the purpose of doing good deeds is not to be noticed by people. If that's the reason we're doing it, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And there's that one of those key words we've been looking at, you know, reward. And we're going to see how this that word reward is used here in a moment. But let's break this down a little bit because we live in a very much a a media-driven, social media-driven world where we like to share the works that we're doing, you know, to the public. Well, and I, I just saw a post with um, uh, an actor who paid the rent for the entire house that, or the, the apartment complex that his grandmother lived in. His grandmother had since passed on, but with the financial concerns, he, he paid the rent for him. That's an awesome work, but then he posted it on Twitter, and his publicist got a hold of it, and it's just patent, kind of patting yourself on the back. Yeah, and, and if we only do good deeds for the purpose of inflating our own ego, making ourselves appear righteous, those aren't the good deeds that God wants us to do. We're, we're, not, we're not letting our light shine. We're not letting his light shine through us. We're just saying, hey, shine a light upon me. You know, that kind of idea. Right. We me, want to be in the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me show you what I, what I could do for God. And I think, I, I think sometimes, you know, that's that can be our, our mentality because of the world and culture that we live in, that things like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram can be a temptation to say, look at what kind of good things that I'm doing, or as where we, we might be trying to, you know, in the eyes of other people, be doing things that, and I, and I like to, I just want to point this out before we jump, he focuses on, on, the, on the eyesight, not so much the hearing portion like he focused on in the last chapter, but what you see, it's not about what you, not, here's what you've heard, but now here's what you see. Yeah. Here's, here's the practicing comes into play in the sight of the eyes of human beings. And that's why I think he points out these different acts of righteousness along the lines of you know, so, so in a, in a world then where our natural tendency is to show everything that we're doing and, you know, even like sure. a, a fake social media image because, right. you know, that's why there's that trend of no filter when you post something without sure. a filter because so often we filter everything through, mm -hmm. a, you know, retakes yeah. and all that. So he gives four examples of where we might be tempted to present ourselves to be seen instead of doing good deeds that are seen because 
ultimately it's good to have good deeds right. seen. We want people to see the good work the church yeah, is absolutely. doing. And that's yeah. that's the challenge. I mean, I, I strive to be like my grandfather uh, because he did so much good that no one knew about until his funeral. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars he gave, whether it's an actual uh, money assistance or, or through other avenues. Um, and, and there's there's so much power to that. And when people see right. us doing good work, we want to get involved with it. And, and that's why I think we also struggle uh, as a church. I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox um, where we have so many good works. Um, and when we when we ask for others to join in, um, it's kind of it comes across as a little bit like pandering almost. Mm-hmm. But I think when we see these good works that are actually being done, like right yeah. now, I mean, we have so many people coming. You can't walk through the the hallway over here without tripping over all the food and, yeah. and all the, the toilet paper and the household goods. Because when people see the good works, they want to be involved. They want to be a part of good works. I think too, it's about finding that balance. I mean, just like everything in life, we would say we would say that finding balance is the key. You don't want to be over over yeah. on some one thing and over on another because then that doesn't allow you to spread yourself properly well and ultimately only god and ourselves know our hearts and right. what we're trying to accomplish and i think that the question that that this draws at least for me and it might for you guys too but is why are you doing what you're doing why do you yeah. do righteous deeds well let's see let's see the examples yeah, that he sure, gives definitely. so example number one and we're going to come back to this in the zoom meeting so when i ask you for what's the first example <laughs> pay attention to this one okay so verse two so when you give to the poor, so uh, something that might happen even today, hopefully we're giving to the poor, right? So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they will have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret and will, uh, what is done in secret will reward you. So example number one is giving. So he says, when you give to the poor, how are we not supposed to do it? We pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. Or he says even with an announcement, right? Don't sound the trumpet. And I don't know if maybe they literally were doing that. I don't know the custom of giving. Maybe I need to study this more. Maybe there was a a giving trumpet. I don't know. But ultimately, apparently, there were some people here that were giving to be seen. Right. And you're going to go? Okay. No, I there's a there's a uh, uh, show on Netflix that, that your wife got my wife involved in, um, Kim's Convenience. It, it's actually it's actually pretty funny. Um, but there's a, a scene in there where he's giving money that he found on the street to someone, and the pastor walks by, and he gives it to the guy, but the pastor was looking at something else, so he takes it right back from him. And then when the pastor looks, he gives it back to him. And just... For the sole purpose of, right. hey, look at me, look at the good that yeah. I'm doing. I think it was a Seinfeld yeah. episode where they did that too. And, they and stole it. Notice but, this too, like, and think about it from this perspective. Um, when somebody, you know, say your back is turned and you're looking at something, and somebody behind you blows an air horn, what do you do? You look. You look, right? You look to see what that is. Kind of what's, down. Yeah, or. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but you look to see, right? Sound attracts our our eyesight and draws us toward what's being done. And I think, um, you know, of course, when he points this out, when you give to the needy, um, because it must have been a common custom for people in that day to just, you know, understand that for for us, it is proper for us to give to the needy. But the Pharisees, again, might have been overdoing that and saying, look, look what I do. Uh, Do not. Go ahead. Go, I was going to say, before you, as the hypocrites. Yeah, so there's uh, the key word. Another yeah. key word if you're following along. Underline hypocrites. Because a hypocrite <laughs> is someone that's two-faced, that acts like they're one way, but they're actually 
another a temptation we all have. It's a, it's a play. It's like an actor. Yeah, an actor, a play actor. Yeah. So now you have illustration number one. When you give, don't be like a hypocrite, because if you're giving to be seen and you're making sure everybody knows this, he makes this phrase then, truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But I thought this is a bad thing. Why would we have a reward, Curtis? Well, and it's... If all you're doing is seeking the praise from others, that's all you're ever going to get. That's all you're going to get. Is the praise from others. And that yeah. goes away very quickly. If all you want is likes on Instagram, yeah. that's your reward. Yeah. Right. Same idea. Um, you know, there's. I, I've kind of had some in instances recently where I had to think through this a little bit too because, you know, with a lot of needy people right now and things, I've seen like GoFundMe pages and charitable opportunities. And I've noticed on GoFundMe, which is a, a charitable giving platform, that you can choose to have your name there. And have it anonymous. And I tell you, part of me, I always want to like, well, I want my name because I want people to know that I care and this kind of thing. But I've, I've consistently only clicked anonymous because I remind myself of this passage right here. Well, it's not to be seen. The neat thing is, if I believe correctly, because I've done the same thing where it's anonymous. And then you get an email from the sponsor because apparently they can see who the anonymous Well, if they want to spread the good word, they can, but exactly. then you're not purposely but, spreading yeah, it. And you're not just doing it to toot your own Well, kind of like Nick said, the word's going to get spread anyway if you're doing a good work, but you're not doing it to be seen. And that's yeah. the goal. The goal is to do the good work and glorify God in the process. So here's what he says then. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He just gives an illustration, obviously. It's, he's not. Uh, when I was in Guatemala, though, I will tell you that the way they take up contribution there is they use kind of a, a bag with have a has a small hole at the top, and you put your hand in there, and then you release your money because they truly believe you're not supposed to let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But I, I appreciate the zeal for wanting to give in secret. So verse four, he says, so that your giving will be in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God sees all, so it doesn't matter if everybody else sees. God sees it, and he will reward you. And this idea of God rewarding you is going to kind of be built upon here over sure. and over until you get to this point in, in, you know, in verse 19 where he says, storing up treasures in heaven and that kind of idea. And then all the way down, um, you know, in verse 20, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We have a reward waiting for us in heaven. Don't just want the reward of the praise of men because that's all you're going to get. Well, and it's interesting because we see reward, 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 reward right. all throughout. Uh, but there's real, and 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 each one, it's it's that they will have the reward. They sure. will have the reward. But then uh, contrast that with the Father's reward. Um, and it's interesting that there's actually two different Greek words used there. The same English word is reward, but there's two different Greek words. And the mm -hmm. first one, where it talks about how they will receive their reward, it's like wages. Okay. Like they're going to get the the money that they earn. Right. Uh, but well, so if you're following along, maybe in verse two, underline reward yeah. and write wages or pay. Versus verse four reward. What does it mean? Yeah, and that's like uh, something that that it's a gift. It's a gift. Um, it's the and that that word is actually the key word that's used throughout Matthew the, m most of the times. I think it's 124 times this give or this deliver, um, and, and so it shows that um, we can earn the praise from others, but what the Father gives us is a, a true gift. Our reward from the Father is a mm. gift that we don't earn. So do you want to earn praise from people, or do you want to be given salvation from a, God? A yeah, a reward from God. And it's just so cool because um, it's something that, that we completely miss in the English language, uh, but I, the, the people who are reading this would get that. that yeah, they would see it. And let me encourage you, too. Curtis found this, and it's something you can find, too, 
if you go to like some Bible software programs or online with Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, and some others, you can hover over words and learn what the Greek words are. You don't even have to know what the Greek letters are. They transliterate them for you. You can right-click on them and see where else they're using. You can find little gems like that. Like Curtis pointed that out to me. And, and I've studied Matthew. I've been in classes on Matthew, and I've never seen that before, so I thought that was pretty neat. So example number one is when you give, don't give like hypocrites. Example number two, verse five, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. So just in the way we give, we shouldn't pray that way. He says, for they love to stand and pray. Who's the they? The hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. There's that same idea. We should be praying people. Praying is good. Paul says pray without ceasing. But again, if you're praying only to be seen, it seems like here they're like standing in the synagogues. Look at me on the street corners. Look at me. And again, God will reward you, but he only rewards you for what you're doing in secret. Right. Well, notice this too. In in this particular passage, pray is one, two, three, four, five, six times, right? And then on top of that, if you go back up to verse three, you'll notice this little phrase, do not and not and that is four times between verse three and verse eight and he's making a distinction here that this is not about like in order to be righteous in order to be righteous you don't have to practice publicly what the pharisees are practicing and it's like we mentioned in our last class it comes from what's from what's within that's what god wants god doesn't care about you know the the, out, the outside things are what you can show people you can do, but he cares what comes from. So when you within. are genuinely righteous, yes. you're going to give, and somebody and, might see it. And, and when you're genuinely righteous, you're going to pray. And it's not, and, yeah, and yeah, it's not because you want other people to see what you're doing. It's because you genuinely love God and you know what he wants you to do. Yeah. And, and I think that, of course, we can take these character attributes too. You know, generosity is a character attribute of the people of God to be generous, to give of what you have not under compulsion or compulsion, but to just say, look, God has given me, what can I give back to the people that are created in God's image? Absolutely. So he mentions this praying idea, and then he tells us again, just like the giving, our Father who sees what is done in secret will in secret reward you. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of clarifies even more. He takes this a step further than he does with the giving. He gives an example of maybe how they were praying in a way that was wrong. Verse 7, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as as the Gentiles do, or as the nations do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Now, he's been talking about Jewish people like the Pharisees. Now he mentions, you know, non-Jews here too. Maybe to say, look, you guys are kind of being like them, or be careful not to be like them. Could be people in the audience listening. That too. too, That aren't Jewish. But he makes a statement, do not use meaningless repetition for... They suppose that they will be heard for their many words. The length of your prayer, the amount of words you use in your prayer, how loud your prayer is or where you're praying does not demonstrate how righteous you actually are. And I think this is a trap that I fall into on a regular basis. I'll be in a prayer, then all of a sudden, without even thinking, I'm using the exact same phrases. Uh, uh, it happens at, at mealtime mm-hmm. when we sit down and, and pray before our dinner. It's, it's more often than not the same words. Uh, before communion is one that I catch myself uh, a lot where we just I fall into the exact same phrases 
Um, and then as a result, that, that kind of leads to that perfunctory attitude where you're not even go, you just go through the motions. Through the motions. Uh, same bedtime is another one um, where we pray for the exact same things. Uh, and so, and again, it's not that there's nothing wrong if those no. are genuinely on your heart on yeah. a daily basis, but if you just, if it's meaningless, if it's rote and it's that, you're missing well, the you're point. You're just trying to get it out of the way. You're just trying to, you know, oh, do I, it so you can check it off so it's done. But I also it's think here than, it's more than just the repetition. Yeah. It's so they think that they will be heard for their many words. Right, In mean, some way, my prayer is better and God's going to receive it if it's grander or right. more repetitive. You know, Not I can make fancy words. Maybe I can. It's almost childish. If you ever right. your kid tries to convince you of something, please, 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 please. Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And they think, oh, if I say it enough, then mom and dad are going to give in. And it's almost like the the Gentiles here think that they're going to be heard for their many words. And we got to make sure we don't fall into that trap. And we don't want to pick on anybody here or things like that. But I know that. Uh, I see this sometimes happen publicly in the church that you can almost guess the words that someone's going to say. And I know you can't judge someone's prayer life by a public prayer because they're kind of scary at times and intimidating. But, you know, that kind of idea, we got to make sure we're not repetitive ourselves. I do remember when I was a young man, it was a discouraging moment in my life. I led a prayer at church and, and a, kind of the grumpy guy in the church came up to me afterwards and said, that was a good prayer, but you need to make it a little longer. And I'm like, I remember telling my mom that, and she got upset, like, no, you don't need to make it longer, it's fine. Um, that's where I get my little re rebellious spirit from. But the idea was, he thought, well, it's a better prayer if it's longer. The Gentiles might have thought that, too. Well, and I think that where, where we're going next shows that while there's confusion or anxiety over praying today, there was back then, oh, yeah. too. So he says, so then do not be like them, verse 8. Don't be like the guys who think they need to say a bunch of words. For... Your, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't worry so much about even how you're saying it or what you're saying. God knows right. what you need. And if we always approach prayer with this, well, I got to get it right or God's not going to listen, we're not going to pray like we should. Right. But if we love God like we love our dad, we're comfortable talking and expressing, even if the words do not, not come out right. Sense. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes we talk to our dad and they don't make sense. Sometimes our prayers don't make sense, yeah. but... God knows. Or if you're like me, sometimes you just call your dad just to talk through a process, talk through a thought. Yeah. Uh, and you're asking him for advice, and at the end of it goes, so what do you want me to do? Yeah. Well, nothing. I, I, I'm okay. I'm I just want to communicate with you. <laughs> and, and that's why we can do the same thing in our prayers. And I, I, I know me personally, I wish I was more, I don't want to say casual, that sounds bad, but just more, I don't know, daily conversational with my prayers, where I just, you know, when I'm alone, I talk to God. But yeah. I, I think that, and I think we can we can dissect um, this prayer that that Jesus shows us here. Um, but I don't. We see other times where, where prayer is conversational, but then there's the respect still has to. Oh, be absolutely. Hands down, the respect. And there's reverence. There's awe. There's amazement. The fact that we're able to bow before God and talk to Him. Right. So let's see. Jesus says, "Don't be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need." So then He says, "Pray then in this way." And he's going to give us what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, something along those lines. Um, it's not designed to be a rote, repetitious prayer. If we turn that into meaningless repetition, we're violating the verse that you know precedes it. But here's what he said. He says, pray then in this way. If you're confused, if you don't get it. And even the disciples later would ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Yeah. So like you mentioned, we have this tendency to wonder about prayer. Sure. Um, a while back, I did a prayer series. And when we did our congregational surveys... One of the series of lessons that most people said they appreciated was the one on prayer. Because I think most people struggle with prayer. So here's what Jesus says. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Then do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you might have this part in brackets in your Bible too. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So then he says, when you pray, pray like this. Now we could overthink all of these different terms, but I just think there's simplicity here. There is. I love it. It's you compliment God. You honor his name. As you mentioned, our prayers need to be respectful. Father, hallowed be your name. God is holy. Yeah, essentially it's broken up into three simple aspects. The first one concerning God, concerning our physical needs, and then concerning our spiritual needs. Yeah, and that's really, if we cover those in prayers, we're doing good. Um, I also, I do want to mention this idea of hallowed be your name and that idea. I know we, all of us probably begin our prayer maybe with some kind of statement of praise, but you read in the Psalms, so much of their prayers were praised. So what does hallowed mean? I think this means holy. (laughs) Uh, God right here. Okay, Nick has it. uh, Consecrated, dedicated, yeah. set apart, uh, special, set holy. something yeah. or make suitable for ritual purposes. So does that directs our mind to what we're what the we're, process yeah, of what we're, we're talking, doing. Yeah, well, even we're talking our Father, our Father in heaven. And of course, to, to Jews, they would understand this concept. To Gentiles, I think this is a foreign idea. You know, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of uh, language that is used in Matthew that is not used in other books that are written to other types of Christians because they wouldn't be familiar with the process or the language that that Jesus is using here. And he's teaching, mind you, Jewish people. But holiness yeah, is a key word right. in the Old Testament. And that's what yeah. I'm saying. And yeah. so, so our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is So in we approach I mean, God with respect. Yeah. And in the same way that maybe we do, you know, we talk to a royal person in, in, in our owner, your royal highness. A judge is your honor. You know, we honor the right. position. Well, here's a position higher than any position possible. Right. Holy Almighty God. So we say, hallowed be your name. And I, it, I understand that you're in control. Now I have something that I would like to ask you. Yeah. And again, this isn't you have to say, hallowed be your name, but acknowledge yeah. God and who he is. And humility so you, in prayer, yeah. too. Come yeah. before God with humility and praise. And then, as Curtis mentioned, you know, um, acknowledging his will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then also physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Which, it, it's really cool. That that give word there is the same as the reward. Oh, the awesome. reward that our Father is giving us is the same. Our, our daily bread is given to us as well. So we should acknowledge the daily blessings of life as a gift from God. Yeah. Yeah. Not anything we earned. Yeah. It's just right. a true gift. Something and if you go back to, to love your enemies. Yeah. Right? What did God do to, to everybody? He let he, he gave good things to the righteous and the unrighteous. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we should acknowledge that the good gifts come from God and we're asking God your Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You know, we want forgiveness and we, you know, this is even a physical need, you know, too, as well of debt. But then he says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I've had several people ask me about that phrase before. Does that mean that God tempts us or that he guides us into temptation? I don't want to take it to that point because that seems to be contradictory to other passages of scripture. But I do think that God can help guide us out of temptation. And I've heard the the, the statement made before is the power in that. if. Because I, I don't think I've ever asked God to take temptation away from me. Uh, and if, if we were to truly pray for God to, to mm-hmm. take temptation away, because, I mean, we, we see in First Corinthians that God will give us an out. Right. And so do we just passively say that, yeah, God will give us an out? Or do we right. actively say, God, help me find this out? 
Right, and then the explanation of James in James chapter 1, 13 through 18, where he says that God doesn't God doesn't tempt us by evil, you know, because their concept of, of being tempted or being mm -hmm. something evil happened to you is because you did something evil. If you did something good, something good happened to you. And so he's defeating, I, I guess, a, a teaching of, of Jewish people called the Yetzir Hara, which was the doctrine that said, well, you do good, good is done unto you. You do evil, evil is done unto you. And I think that... that applies to this passage in the sense that you know it's not God leading us into a temptation it's that we face temptation and God can lead us out of yeah. temptation absolutely um, and we're trusting that he's the great deliverer yeah. here right. and then you have that last phrase here for yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever amen it seems to be that that's probably not in the most um, accurate Greek text, that's why it's in brackets in some of our English translations. So we won't um, break it down too much, but I do think that it was a traditional phrase. It was obviously there for a reason that people over time, yeah. you know, had. And it's a actually that word God. for for temptation is the word for a test or a trial. Awesome. So there. God don't allow us to be tested in that kind of idea. It's not actually like like a temptation like we would see Jesus in the temptation. It's a test or a trial. So something that may be physically enduring or something that you know. A test that may expose weakness, a spiritual weakness, a physical weakness, a mental weakness, yeah. to allow us to connect with God in a different way. So I know I have to go back, but I just wanted to point that out. Well, so then we have, he brings it after he mentions his prayer. It's like that Jesus, he mentions, he dabbles in talking about forgiveness for a second. Right. So then he mentions it, and then he gets back on track. Not that Jesus ever gets off track. He's a masterful <laughs> teacher. Yeah. But maybe because he said the word forgiveness, he knew from his audience that they had some questions about that. And probably a forgiveness issue because, I mean, he hits it six times right here. Yeah. Forgive, 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 forgive. Um, there's, we need to have this general attitude towards forgiveness. And if he's hitting it this hard, uh, I mean, it's something I think I struggle with at times. We take stuff for granted and we don't, we just brush it off as, oh, they're, they're fine. It, it's well, let's, let's read what he says then. Verse 14, for if you forgive, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. As Curtis mentioned, he struggles with forgiveness. I know I do too, not letting things go, getting over things. Yeah. And this is going to be a teaching that's later repeated, you know, Matthew 18 and all that. Yeah. They struggled with forgiveness. I mean, tell me it's not hard when someone hurts you to forgive them. I mean, yeah. Tell me it's not hard when someone does something to you not to forgive them. I think this goes back to the teaching that Jesus explained in Matthew, in the other section of Matthew chapter 5 where he says, do not return evil for evil. Do not, an eye for an eye or tooth for, what is it, foot for foot or hand for hand or something like that. Tooth for tooth, tooth, for tooth is that it? Yeah. It's something, something on on your, get revenge, you know, on your face. Yeah. But uh, I think here, I mean, that's, that's a problem for everybody. Even, even, not even just forgiving other people, but sometimes we're in the place where we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Well, then let's, let's, let's see where we're going here with this. So he's been talking about don't do righteousness to be seen. When you do that, make sure you give in a way that's good and righteous and that's sure. not for the purpose of being seen, but it can be seen. When you pray, we should be prayerful people, but we don't pray for the purpose of being seen, but our prayers might be seen. And when we, when we pray too, we shouldn't use meaningless repetition thinking that that's going to make our prayers more holy. So he's given us those so far. And now we have our next one in verse 16. And this is, again, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is laying out the self-righteous behavior. Maybe the Pharisees, they were doing good deeds to be seen, but ultimately we do good deeds that are seen. So here's what he says. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. So there's our example of the hypocrites again. You know, these two-faced people. So whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. 
For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. There's that reward again. Do we want to get the reward of wages from men or do we want a gift from God? Mm. Let's talk about this fasting here because I'm sure that kind of perks our attention a little bit. Well, yeah, and that's what you see the exact same thing um, in verse 2. Uh, when you give. Um, in verse 5, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that our... As Christians, we should be fasting the same way that we pray, the same way that, or at the, on the same frequency that we pray, the same frequency as we give? Well, I think first off, well, we need to admit that there is an expectation that we are going to fast here. Right. Although that's not a popular Christian teaching nowadays yeah. because we like to eat. I bought me a carton of Tillamook Rocky Road ice cream today and yeah. I've already had half of it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, it's hard to think about not going out with food. But these spiritual disciplines of giving of praying yeah. equated with them is also fasting right. and i i don't there is teaching regarding fasting in scripture it doesn't seem to be as frequent obviously as praying it seemed to be more of a special occasion maybe before a big uh, uh you know when paul is about to go on a missionary trip they prayed mm -hmm. and they fasted right it seems to be even you have in first corinthians 7 almost a fasting from in marital intimacy in that kind of regard but there is an expectation or an understanding that you might be fasting um, from what fasting is, it's to go without food. I mean, it's most basic sense. Sure. I know we just passed up, you know, the season of Lent that some religions practice and that kind of idea. And they might say they're fasting, but they're giving up certain things. Nothing wrong with committing yourself to giving up certain things. But this seemed to have to do with food. And I, and I think that this is, too, we're talking about, let's go back to chapter 6 and verse 1, where he says, practicing your righteousness. All of these are acts of righteousness. seeing in the eyes of the Jewish people, and what we would see today, acts of things that righteous people do. Not self-righteous people, but people who are who are righteous in the eyes of God. From Well, why would, for somebody who's listening to this right now, because you might be listening to this for the first time, and you're like, fasting? Yeah. Why might a believer fast? Well, I think if we, we can jump back to, to chapter 4, maybe, to, to answer this question. Mm -hmm. uh, right after Jesus was baptized... Um, he went off into the wilderness, and he, we, we see he was fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and immediately after that, he, he was tempted, mm -hmm. but he was able to, to overcome the temptations. Um, when we can exert discipline over our bodies, um, it often allows us to exert discipline in other aspects. When we're focused hardcore on a goal, um, we get focused on everything yeah whether yeah. It, what does Jocko say yeah discipline, discipline equals, equals freedom, freedom right <laughs> so but so when we're so God might want us to practice some physical disciplines like fasting that would uh, bring some things into focus in our life and cause us to be more self-controlled if you can conquer uh, an, an innate desire like hunger and overcome that man you're going to be able to approach sexual temptation oh, yeah. anger you've you've now overcame a fleshly desire it's not wrong to be hungry sure. but if you can master that imagine what you can master in your own life well, and and i'm just there there might be something also because in, in chapter 6 11 he talks about give us this daily bread here he's talking about fasting um as we look forward um into verse 26 he's talking about the birds of the air and how they're Fed. Um, that there's something, there may be something here on reliance on God as well. Right. I think so. I think fasting, you know, because I've done it at times, different times in my life where when you fast, it's, it's, it's about learning self-control. Um, I don't know if you've ever fasted. I fasted in school. I fasted, um, you know, out of school, trying to learn 
a spiritual discipline that my life does not revolve around the physical things, but my my life is much more than just eating and drinking. Yeah. You know, like what Jesus says in, in 25 through 33. What about the fact, too, that it also seems to be coupled with prayer? Oh, yeah. I think it's le- no, it's not just absolutely. I'm fasting, because I know you mentioned as a diet, right. intermittent fasting. But that's right. not what he's talking about here. He's talking no, about no, no, you're fasting for a spiritual right. purpose there's, to there's devote prayer to prayer. Involved. There's, you know, there's... So you replace mealtime with talking to God, right? And and maybe and studying the maybe Bible. Maybe that's what Jesus means by I have, "I have food to eat that you do not know about." You know, maybe that's what he means by that idea, like that. There's there's nothing, you know. There's something that you don't know about this. What I'm, you know, what I'm saying, like, there's like something maybe more there's important something you don't get here. Something that Jesus is explaining or or talking about that we're not understanding, but it's right here. You know, it's it's being in control of so your own. How do I fast? Bodily I would say, I mean, if we follow, we, obviously not like Jesus, because you're probably not going to make 40 days. But when we look, <laughs> when we look historically and we look at the early church, they would go a set amount of time without eating. And so I would say, if someone wanted to fast, set a goal. Say, set something attainable at first, because it's probably something that most sure. haven't done. I would say, say, okay, I'm going to choose to fast for 12 hours, maybe just that. And re- instead of having dinner that night, replace that dinner with. Prayer, Bible study, meditation on what you've studied about. And then if you want to go longer later and that kind of thing, you can add to that. Uh, and, and, and obviously someone always says, well, what if you have a health issue? If it, your doctor tells you you need to eat every day or you're going to die, eat. Okay, and we're, not, we're not talking about that. Right. It, you know, but it, I would recommend you practice this spiritual discipline and try it. Anyways, we have this Zoom discussion on Wednesday. I bet some of you are going to have some questions about this. Oh, yeah. And I enjoy that time of sharing <laughs> as we talk about this. But it is an expectation in here that we're going to fast. But when we fast, we need to make sure we don't go immediately to social media and talk about it, right? right. Don't bring your McDonald's over because I'm fasting to get closer to God. Yeah, don't don't be that guy that says that. Don't do the humble brag. I'm still hungry right now because I'm fasting. So here's what Jesus says. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. So again, don't go around, oh, I don't feel good. So someone asks, why are you sad? Oh, because I'm fasting. That's not what we're supposed to do. Just like praying, just like giving, we're not doing it to be seen. Because if we do, we have a reward in full. All we're getting is the praise of men. And you know what? People really aren't that impressed anyway. So (laughs) verse 7, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. I'd recommend you, you know, pop a Listerine pocket pack too, because when you're, you know, you're not fasting a little bit, sometimes your breath smells. But <laughs> when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's that same idea that God sees what we're doing, but God operates in the heavens. He operates in secret. He sees your heart. He sees all. We need to make sure that when we give when we fast when we pray it's not to be seen but it might be seen right. and that's well, okay and, and that's to glorify to glorify god back to 514 yeah and if you, you look know? at the the emphasis uh, jesus is twisting or twisting turning pointing everything back to the, yeah. father. Right. the father the father the father the father you're doing it to glorify the father right the father will see it and reward us. Well, I, I love the idea of a light here. You know, he mentioned, let your light shine. And, and even in our own today, you know, we've been setting up video cameras and stuff and we have spotlights. And the whole idea here is don't shine the spotlight on you, but allow God's light to shine through you so that they see him. And if what we're doing directs people to look at God, you're doing something okay. If what you're doing causes people to only look at you, you're doing something wrong. 
So we proposed that question here at the beginning, you know, how do we balance it? I think that's it right there. Am I doing good deeds so that people look at me or am I doing good deeds so that people see God? Uh, we'll probably have to stop here in just a second, but let's look at this last section here, verses 19 through 20, and then we'll probably have to come back to it again next week. But verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You mentioned wages a lot with the idea of your reward, what you're getting. If all you're worried about is being seen by men, you're getting a lot of wages here on earth. You're storing up treasure here on earth, but not in heaven. I think that's a good contrast that you pulled out about reward because I think that this this I, this follows into that. It you're falls build, into you're that building idea. your bank account. What bank reward. account are you filling? Yeah. Well, what, he, do you, what do you really value? Do you value what's here and in front of you and on this earth, or do you value what's to come after this yeah. life? Well, let's see how he closes it. Verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the whole point, as we've all been mentioning. Right. It's not about on earth people seeing us, but it's about God seeing us. And when right. God sees us, treasure awaits us in heaven. And that sounds a whole lot better than anything I'm going to get here in this life. <laughs> a bunch of likes on Facebook, people yeah. sharing my post on Twitter or something like that. That's not that big of a deal compared to treasure in heaven. Mm. So as we kind of we close that out, I mean, what stands out to me here with this question of being seen versus, you know, um, doing it to be seen. The whole idea is, where do I want my treasure to be? If I want my treasure in heaven, I'm going to do good deeds, but I'm not doing it so people look at me. I want them to look at God. Any final mm -hmm. thoughts you guys have? I mean, there, there's so much. We often just read this stuff and just pass through. Uh, but I really appreciate the conversation um, because it helps me dig in deeper. And you see yeah. things differently that jump out differently, sure. um, that challenge me to go out and, and have a different mentality when I go out and, and find good things to do. Absolutely. And when we find good things to do, people will know about it, but we don't have to try to be seen. And when they know about it, the word will spread just and God good good, will be you know? glorified. Yeah. Do, and like you, you've said this before in your sermons, do good just for the sake of doing good. And when you're righteous, you know? good and, will just happen in your life. Yeah. And you're like, well, well, you know, I know that I need to, you know, give more of myself, give more of my time, give more of my money. You know, I think that's, it's, it's not just, you know, giving is not just about your money, it's about your time, it's about, it's about your you. life, it's about, it's about what you're willing to give to God. Praying is, everybody struggles with that. I mean, if we're being honest, that's something that we, we could honestly do a lot more of. Right? We could spend a lot more time in prayer and learning how to pray and learning to talk to God like we're having a conversation, but in a totally different way. So um, for, for those tuning in yeah. tonight then... Um, Review what we talked about here. Remember, on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we'll have our Zoom discussion over what we studied here tonight. We'll also replay it on Wednesday at 6 if you missed out, or feel free to share it with others so that they can see it too. But keep reading the book of Matthew. Keep digging in and learning about Jesus being the Messiah. We've spent a few weeks now just a sermon on the Mount. There's still a lot of cool stuff to come. This is an amazing book. This is an amazing book. So keep yep. digging in. Thanks Absolutely. for tuning in. Have a good evening.